Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church on the rainiest Sunday morning we've seen in a long, long time. It's pouring outside, but good to see you inside. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, this is, uh, by this point, probably the third or fourth message in this series entitled, Walk and Not Faint, to walk and not faint. I'm just simply going verse by verse through Isaiah chapter 40, and this morning we are at verse 9. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. We're a talking congregation, y'all. We talk all the time. Isn't it great? Uh, before we start worship here, if you're ever here at Woodburn Baptist Church, we just talk and talk and talk. Getting you not to, you know, to stop talking, get ready to worship is, is one of the challenges, man. We talk, we talk about everything. We talk about the weather. We talk about the UK Wildcats. We talk about the Western Kentucky University Hilltoppers. We talk about farming. We talk about fishing. Uh, we talk about everything except apparently our faith. And that's a disaster. And I hate to come down so heavy so early, but, but it's a disaster that, that we who talk uh, so much and to so many people, we never meet a stranger, we just talk and talk and talk. Uh, but, but it seems that we never get around to telling people what should be the most important thing in, in our lives. A couple of years ago, if you recall, it's two years ago to be exact, we did a churchwide survey and, and asked questions about discipleship and questions about evangelism in particular. Um, one of the questions was, when was the last time you personally shared the plan of salvation? When was the last time you personally shared the plan of salvation? 8% of you said never. Never. In your whole Christian life, 8% of the church, we're not talking about like random people in the street. We're talking about people who are Christians, who are members of our church. 8% have never, ever shared their faith. 17% of you said it was a number of years ago. 17% said years ago. And 32% said maybe sometime in the last few years. Okay, you understand what that means is that more than half of us haven't even tried to lead anyone to Jesus in years. More than half of us haven't even tried to lead anyone to Christ in years. This is a disaster for our church. This is an absolute disaster. You understand that, right? I mean, what are we doing? And why are we even here? And why do we give money to missions? I mean, what are, I mean, are we even serious about the very things that we gather here to talk about? When more than half of us can walk out of this place and, and fill the week with words, but never, ever say the name of Jesus. It's, it, it's devastating for what it says uh, about our church. Another question, when, when met with an opportunity to witness one-on-one, 40% of us say that we seldom or ever uh, feel eager to witness or even know what to say. So 40% of us never even really have the urge. What the numbers say about us is, is, is devastating, especially when you get to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. Because verse 9 tells us exactly what we are and what we are to be. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. We'll start there and see how far we get today. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9 says this. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. O Zion, messenger of good news. So what is it that we are called? messengers of good news messengers of good news heralds 
of good news, we might say. Now, the word herald takes us back there, uh, on back into verse 3 and 4, where we hear the voice of someone shouting. Remember that? This was last, last Sunday night. Listen, it's a voice of someone shouting. I'm in verse 3. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and hills. The, the idea is, is that there is this voice shouting in the wilderness. And what is the voice shouting? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make a highway in the wilderness for the Lord. Now, if you're in my small group tonight, we talked about this. In the ancient world, there were not a lot of roads, obviously. And so if a king were going to come to to visit a town or or a region, sometimes as a demonstration of his power and the importance of the visit, he would pave a new road. He, He would make a road to go where he wanted to go to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his wealth, and also to demonstrate the importance of his coming. So this is what's happening here in in verse 3. This voice is shouting, you know, prepare, make a highway in the wilderness because our God is coming. Our God is coming. So clear the way, remove the obstacles, level the ground, make a highway for him because he's coming. Making a highway suggests something about the work that we have to do to prepare for his coming, but it says something about his excellence, his greatness. It says something about the importance of his being with us. And this highway that we prepare for his coming is the very same highway that we're going to leave. You understand? He's going to take us out of here. He's coming to rescue his people. That's the message. So this highway that he travels to us will be the very same road by which he leads us out. It's amazing. So verse 3 starts with this voice shouting in the distance. And it gets louder and louder as the voice gets nearer to us, telling us that he's coming. Prepare the way. The king is coming. Now, after all of that, after the highway is prepared, the curves are straightened out, the rough places are made smooth. It says the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. All right, so it starts with this declaration, the king is coming, our God, he's coming. And and then understand from there on, the the responsibility starts to fall on us. Verse 6, a voice says, shout. That voice is talking to us now. We heard someone else shouting, and now it falls to us. We're supposed to shout. Now, this word shout is one of the most important words in this entire chapter, Isaiah chapter 40. Sometimes it's translated cry, cry out. It would be the word for scream, to shout, to to lift your voice. The idea is the message that we have to declare is so urgent and so important that we've got to lift our voices. We've got to shout and be heard. So verse 6, the voice says shout. And then again, in verse 9, where we are right now, the idea is that, that, that we are going to be heralds of good news. We are the ones now that are going to continue to carry the news that the king is coming. Uh, our God is coming. And it's our responsibility. We are heralds of good news, messengers of the gospel. And we're supposed to shout. What do we shout? I mean, shout. I mean, some of you get a little nervous about the idea of shouting, but but just stop and think about the places in your life where you do shout, where you talk and use your voice until you go hoarse. Man, this is a sports-crazy congregation led by a sports idiot. I mean, I know know nothing, and I care nothing about sports. I mean, I know I'm the greatest disappointment in the world to all of you, but I just don't get it. I'm missing that entire hemisphere of the brain. 
I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand the enthusiasm that you have for your teams. But, but some of you are crazy you know, for your teams. I mean, you're just crazy. We have several officials, you know, some of the guys in our congregation are, are officials at high school and, and, and college games here in town. And, and those guys, this morning I prayed with two, and we literally pray, you know, God just b- bless these men, because when they get out there making calls, you know, people get ugly, people get mean, and it's a game. It, it, it's a game. But people go nuts, and people shout, and people scream. I mean, you'll just yell yourself hoarse for the Tennessee Titans. I don't even understand it. And that's what, with you at home by yourself in your chair, you know, just screaming, yelling. I mean, what's that about? But because when we talk about shouting for the Lord, you got nothing. You got nothing. But, but if it's a Tennessee Titans or if it's, I, I don't know, if there's a long line at Cheney's Dairy Barn, I mean, you're like, ah! I mean, I mean, you can get stirred up. You get stirred up about a lot of things. And, and you have used your voice before till your voice, voice has gone hoarse. You go to a concert or someplace where the music is loud and you have to talk over that and you have no problem raising your voice there because apparently what you've got to say is so important, you just got to get it said. But, but when it comes time to share the good news about our God, we can't get as much as a holy grunt out of most of us. And I'm telling you that that speaks horribly for us because the Tennessee Titans can't save you. And the Kentucky Wildcats never saved anybody. And several years ago, people thought Rick Pitino was the savior in Kentucky. I mean, I went to church with guys in the, in the 80s and 90s that tried to dress and look like him. I mean, they combed their hair like Rick Pitino. They tried to be Rick Pitino. Yeah. How'd that work out for you, sir? You proud of him now? I mean, do you understand? Whenever you set your sights, when, whenever you begin to worship, when you begin to make uh, things of ultimate importance, things that are not ultimately important, y- your life is going down. It, it is God and God alone who has come to rescue us. And it is God and God alone whose message that we are called to proclaim. And this is the most urgent thing we have to talk about. Do you believe this or not? Do you truly believe that God, maker of heaven and earth, is is the lover of of all the human race? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that he is the one who has the world and all the nations in his hand? Do you believe that? Do you not believe that he is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords? Don't you believe that? That he is the king above all presidents, the king above all emperors, above all queens and royalty? He is the God above all gods. Do you not understand and believe this? Do you not believe that he is the judge before whom all of us will stand? Do you not believe that he is the one who ultimately will will declare the judgment of whether or not you spend eternity in heaven and hell? And that's true of everybody who's ever breathed the breath of life. They will stand before him. Do you not believe this? Do you not believe that he and he alone has the power in his hands to put back together broken lives? Do you not believe that he and he alone has the power in his hands to forgive sins? Do you not believe this? If you believe it, how can you not tell people? How much do you have to despise people to believe this but never decide to share it with anybody? I mean anybody. How is that? And how do you explain that? Over half of us haven't shared the good news of Christ in years. 
Now, if that's true, that means you, you, you haven't even talked to your own children. Not even your own grandchildren. O Zion, messenger of good news, it says, shout from the mountaintop. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout it louder. Louder and louder. Now, what's the point there? I just want to point out to you that to tell the good news, it requires more boldness than volume. I know that he keeps saying, shout it louder and louder and louder, but it's not just about, you know, how loud you can be, how obnoxious you can be, because lots and lots of people are, are, are loud, but, but that's not exactly the, the point here. It's, it's not about volume. It is about getting the message heard. It's about gaining a hearing. It's about somehow lifting your voice. It's about somehow going to the mountaintops. That's about becoming visible, going to a place where people can see you and lifting your voice so that people can hear you. But honestly, it's so much more about boldness than, than volume. It's just a willingness to be seen for Christ and a willingness to, to be heard for, for Christ. This is what we're talking about here. It's more about boldness. Shout from the mountaintop, shout it louder, O Jerusalem, shout, and, and do not be afraid. It's fear that holds you back. It's fear that holds me back. But, but what is it that we're afraid of? As I said, we've got good news. The, the number of people sharing bad news in our culture clearly outweighs the, the number of people sharing good news. Can't we change that? Don't we have something good to say? I mean, some of you, every time President Trump, you know, tweets, you want to talk about that. But, but you have nothing to say about all of the times that the God, the maker of heaven and earth, you know, has something to say in Scripture. You got nothing to say about that. Isn't that strange? Well, well what is it that you're afraid of? It requires boldness. I mean, the other Wednesday night, one of our guys, Matt Martin, if you miss his testimony a week ago Wednesday, you miss something important in this church. But, but the thing I carried away, among other things, what I carried away from Matt's testimony w w was simply, if we're not willing to talk about our own sin and our own brokenness and our own struggles, th then we really can't tell anybody what God's doing for us. You know what I'm saying? Because this is where God works. This is how God works in my life. God is putting back together the broken pieces of this man right here, the one standing in front of you. But if I'm not willing ever to, to let you know what I'm really like, <clears throat> if I'm not willing to talk about struggles with sin, if I'm not willing to talk about my failures, then I really can't tell you anything about what, what God is doing because that's what God is doing in me. Maybe this is the First part where boldness is necessary. We have to be bold enough to be honest about who we are. You see, the fact is that the good news is that God is great and God is good. But when we begin to confess that, we have to get really, really honest about the fact that we're not so great and we're not so good. See, you can't simultaneously proclaim the greatness of God while trying to be something great yourself. And this is our difficulty. Our real fear is that fear of being vulnerable, that fear of being honest, that fear of looking like we don't have it all together, that fear. I mean, if we talk about a God who forgives sins, then we have to start talking about sins that need forgiving, and we don't go there. Maybe that's why as a congregation, we so rarely find ourselves talking about the good news about Jesus, because to tell the good news about Jesus requires us to be somewhat honest about the bad news of ourselves. 
I'm bad news, y'all. But but Christ is good news. And if I'm going to talk about the good news, I have to be willing to talk about what's been wrong with me from the beginning. It's my sin. Most of the time, we don't want to go there. We like to look like we have it all together. We like to talk about a God who can put a marriage back together, but we don't want anybody to know what's going on at our house. We like to talk about a God who can bring the prodigal sons and daughters back home, but we don't ever talk about our sons and daughters in this house unless, you know, they're honor students at Rich Pond Elementary. See, we want to share good news about ourselves, and we want to be good news, but, but there's not that much good news about me if I'm not talking about Jesus. And to share the good news about Jesus requires that I somehow get honest about the bad news about me. Maybe this is where the boldness kicks in. Just a willingness to step out there and be human in front of people. To just step out and be honest about, you know, what's wrong with me so I can talk about what's right with God. It takes boldness. I know for me sometimes I'm just afraid of looking ridiculous. There are preachers, there are believers out there who, who share the gospel in ways that we probably would not. They stand out on the street corner, and in our minds, that seems embarrassing. We could never do that. And so since we can't do that, we don't do anything. I mean, there must be a million ways in the world to tell people about Jesus. We can't even find one. But there's just this fear of, of, of looking ridiculous, this fear of being embarrassed, this fear of somehow, you know, getting in there and starting to talk and running out of things to say or not knowing what to say. I mean, if you're looking for an excuse not to share Jesus, any excuse will do. And if all it takes is one person to laugh at you or make you feel embarrassed, the devil will just line them up. If that's all it takes to shut you up, just somebody who laughs at you or somebody who, who changes a subject or somebody who doesn't take you seriously, I mean, it, that's really not the point here. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintop, shout it louder, shout, and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah everything you know about the Bible. Is that what it says? Tell everybody how much you know about the seven dispensations of biblical time. Is that what it says? No, no. It says, tell the towns, your God is coming. It's actually a pretty simple message. Yeah, actually in the Hebrew, it's very just a few words. Here is your God. It's sort of like in the old days, what was his name? Edmund Mann would say, here's Johnny. You're just making an introduction. That's your whole job. Because remember, God's coming. And he is awesome. And he is powerful. And he is going to make right everything wrong with the world. And you don't have to be an expert in anything. You don't have to know a whole lot. You just have to know this God and how great he is. Then you just introduce him and then get out of the way. He'll come on in. He'll let them know what he can do. He'll take over from there. You just make the introduction and then you disappear. It's something like that. This is not about us. It's about him. It's just about making the introduction. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Your God. Isn't that amazing? He's their God, whether they know he's their God or not. That's the amazing point. This is your God. 
You can say this to the people of work. You're telling them about the God who is the maker and shepherd of their hearts. He's their God. They don't know him yet. That's why you need to make the introduction. But it's just an introduction. One of my favorite pastors, Andy Stanley, says he can't make people fall in love with Jesus, but he can set them up on a date. You understand? You just have to bring people into the company of Jesus. Just make the introduction. Jesus will take over from there. This isn't about you knowing all the answers. This isn't about you being some kind of preacher. It's just about you being willing and bold enough to talk about the God that you say has changed your life. Oh, Zion, messenger of good news. Shout it from the mountaintop. Shout it louder. Shout and do not be afraid. You know, Billy Graham once said that mass evangelism, Billy Graham was one of the greatest, uh, we call him a mass evangelist. In other words, he would bring in gigantic crowds and, and, and preach to thousands of people at once. And then, and then hundreds of them would come to Christ in single nights. Absolutely amazing. We call that mass evangelism. You know, evangelism on a, on a massive scale. Billy Graham actually said mass evangelism is not is not the most effective way to lead people to Christ. But he said that is what God called him to do, and he tried to be faithful to it. Isn't that beautiful? But Billy Graham said that that's not really how most people ever come to Jesus, and that's not how God's going to use most people. What Billy Graham said was actually something more like this. He says that most people come to Christ through the everyday witness and friendship of someone they know personally. A Christian friend who is simply real and unembarrassed. Most people who come to Jesus don't come to Jesus because they hear the gospel from a preacher. Because there just aren't that many preachers in the world. You can say amen if you want to there, I I, I guess. There just aren't that many preachers in the world. Most people who ever come to Christ come to Christ because of the witness of an everyday friend, a person they know up close, personally. It's a Christian who is just real and unembarrassed. Talking about you. You. Why are you afraid? Don't you understand that there are people in your life who, if they're going to hear the gospel at all, they may have to hear it from you. If they're going to hear the gospel at all, think about the people whose lives intersect with your life. Again, let's start with your own children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews. You may be the only, only Christian that they even know. And if you don't share Christ with them, then you're making the choice for them that they will never hear. And if they never hear, then they will be condemned for eternity. You're making that choice for them. They are entitled to hear the gospel from you. Now, notice that we're never made responsible for how they respond. You can't make a person say yes to Jesus. You don't get to make that choice, but you do choose whether or not they hear the gospel from you. And I really think that they deserve to hear the gospel from you. The people you work with, would they, even, would they be surprised to learn that you go to church on Sunday? I mean, do you even share that much of who you are in Christ with, with, with them? Don't you think they're entitled to hear? Don't you think they're entitled to know what you know? Because if you don't share, you're making that choice for them, and you have no right to do that. 
it's just how it works, y'all. It's, it's friend to friend. It's person to person. In the 11 o'clock service day, I will baptize two girls who were led to Christ by their grandmother on the front porch. Grandma, when's the last time you even considered sharing the gospel with your grandkids? Because this is how it works. This is how it works. Let's go to verse 10. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. Now, what follows here in verses 10 and 11 are two pictures, two different pictures of this God. Remember, our job is to declare that he's coming. He's coming. And now there are two pictures of how you know him when you see him, what this God is like. And this first picture is this amazing picture of a sovereign Lord who comes in power. The sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. His arm is full of power and might. This is the picture of a king who's coming who is victorious, a king who has conquered. And he rides into town in this glorious procession, a procession that declares his power, his victory. But notice, he will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. Now, what is that? He brings his reward. The idea is this king has conquered the enemy, and he has brought all of the spoils of war, all of the wealth from all of the enemies, your enemies, his enemies. He's defeated them, and now as he comes, he brings all of the wealth, all of the rewards of his victory, and he brings those rewards to share with us, his people. Do you see that? It's kind of like when I was a kid, and my dad would come home from work, and my dad worked at a Holly Carburetor, which a lot of you did. It, 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 it put a lot of us through college. Holly Carburetor's been good to this community. My dad worked at a Holly Carburetor, and I don't know exactly where he got these, but he would always come home with these, these uh, cinnamon jawbreakers in his pocket. And I always knew that he had them every day. I think he probably skipped out of work and went to Roses and bought them, Faye, to be honest. I think he was, he was skipping out. But, but he would come in with those, and, and I always knew he would have them. And I, I'd say, Dad, you know, you got anything in your pocket? And he would do this whole, I don't know, let me feel, let me see. And, you know, he'd dig around. We knew he had them. He always had them. Oh, let me feel, let me feel. Oh, here you go, you know. Uh, he, he always had those for me. And this is the idea, that this God who comes, this conquering king who comes, his hands are filled with rewards, his rewards, but he's going to share them with you. His hands are filled with gifts for you. You got this idea of when God comes, he's going to take things away from you. This God who's going to cut people out of your life, this God who's going to take all of the fun out of your life, this God who's going who's to whip you into shape and it ain't going to be pretty, but you don't understand who this God is. He is a conquering, sovereign, powerful God who comes to you with arms full of power and hands full of gifts for you. He comes with gifts, rewards to share with you. Now that's the first picture, this God with power in his arms. But, but look now at verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms. How did we get there so quickly? We went from what was in his arms in verse 10? Power in his arms. And in verse 11, what's in his arms? Lambs. Yeah. These, these arms of power still can be so gentle to hold the lambs tenderly against his heart. Isn't that beautiful? 
He'll feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Notice the picture here we have of the the flock of God. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd, you've heard. And it's it's one of the most familiar and, and beautiful ways of speaking of God in Scripture. He will feed his flock. The word shepherd uh, is the same word for pastor. It literally means one who feeds. He, he feeds us. He feeds us, and that's what makes him our shepherd. He carries the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. The idea here is that in the flock of God, there are young ones. There are immature ones. There are ones who need a lot of, a, a lot of nurture. And God is that nurturing God who takes the young and vulnerable and holds them close to his heart. It's a picture of protection. It's a picture of affection and love. This God who carries the the young ones up next to his heart. But then notice in the flock of God, it's not all baby lambs. It's not that God carries all of us like this. He carries you like that when, when you need to be carried like that. But notice what else. He'll gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Here's a picture here. There are more mature sheep. We're not all baby lambs. You know, there are sheep that have been with the shepherd now long enough that they are strong and they are mature and they're able to walk on their own. Now, they're not able to lead and guide themselves. They still are completely dependent upon the shepherd, but they've learned to follow him. So he can gently lead them. He doesn't have to carry them. He can gently lead them, and they will follow. They've learned to follow. But notice what else. These these mature sheep who now gently and and faithfully follow him, what are they doing? They're bringing young ones along beside themselves. They are bringing others with them. It's a beautiful picture of the flock of God, and that's what we are. We are God's flock. He is our shepherd. Now, his arms are full of power, and that power is always used on our behalf. He will conquer our enemies. He will protect us. But in his arms, we are held close and held safe. And there's some time in our life of faith when he carries us like that. We're young. We're immature. We don't know how to follow, and we must learn to trust his heart. So he holds us close to his heart. But the intention is not that you're forever carried in his arms like a baby. The intention is that eventually you grow up and you learn to follow him on your own two feet. You learn to follow and not just follow him. You begin to bring others along with you. Do do you see that? It's one of the most beautiful Old Testament pictures of, of what the body of Christ is to be. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus. There's some point when we're very immature and we need a lot, but then there's another point where maturity kicks in and we become able to follow him and bring others along. This sort of brings me back to where we started, the fact that over half of us haven't shared the gospel with anybody in years, if ever. It suggests that we're missing this point. Last Sunday morning, I preached on comfort, and so many of you talked about how important that sermon was to you. I got the idea that you really began to understand the comfort that comes from God. The part I'm not sure you understood is the fact that you're supposed to share that comfort with others. See, the gospel, the good news, it always comes to you on its way to somebody else. 
The problem is you and I, we just soak it up and we keep it for ourselves. The comfort that comes from Jesus, oh, we just love that comfort, but we don't walk out and ever share it with anybody else. That's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong for you and me to hear all of this good news and never pass it on. The gospel comes to you on its way to someone else. You have to pass it on. Some of you now, you've been supposedly walking with Jesus for years. I mean, years and years and years. And by this point, you really ought to know something. I'm not talking about being a scholar, but you should know Noah from Moses. You should at least know how to pick up your own Bible and read it for yourself. You should at least have a prayer life of your own. If, if all you've done for year after year after year is simply attend church on Sunday, I'm, just, I'm saying this in love, you're missing everything that Jesus died for. He didn't just die to give you a Sunday morning life at church. He died to give you life, abundant life. I mean, life, life, life eternal. It's not just about an hour on Sunday. And if you really knew that and believed that and experienced that, I can't believe that you wouldn't somehow, even accidentally, let that spill out of your lips when you're talking to people in the world. They need the Savior. They need His comfort. They need good news. This flock of God certainly has lambs that are going to be carried, but they're going to grow up. I mean, if there's a lamb who never grows... A lamb who needs to be carried her entire life, then that is a lamb that we understand is there's something wrong with her. That's not healthy. That's not good. And if after all of these years you remain so immature in Christ, what's it say? It's the book of Hebrews where it says, by this point you should be teaching others. You've been in Bible studies for so long, you should be teaching them by now. Is there something wrong? That all of this Bible reading you do and you never learn anything? You never ever, you know, learn five words that you could walk out and share with a lost person? There's something wrong with that. It's not normal. And the fact that so many of us are characterized in that way, y'all, this is a disaster for our church. Because the gospel comes to Woodburn Baptist Church on its way to other places. We have to see that it gets to other places and other people, starting with the places we go and the people that we know. So uh, two questions to wrap up with. First one, are you following the shepherd? Are you following him? I'm not asking, do you go to church? Because I get the idea you do. But, but in all of your church going, have you, let, have, you, have you yet really been introduced to the God who saves you, the, the Jesus who died on the cross to forgive your sins, the, the Jesus who promises to give you abundant life? Have you ever met him? Because you, if you haven't, I would love to make the introduction. Here is your God. You need to know him. Now, in the beginning of that relationship, it's new, and like all new relationships, you'll need to spend a lot of time with him, and he will carry you close to his heart. But, but with time, you're going to grow and mature, and you're going to learn his ways, and you're going to learn his word, and you'll begin to follow him. On your own two feet, you'll follow him. You'll never, ever grow dependent from him, but at the same time, you'll be able to walk as a mature believer, as a grown son or daughter of God who, who knows the Father and, and can walk with the Father. 
it's a progression. It's, it's, it's growing mature as a disciple. So the first thing you have to ask is, is this the reality of your life? Are you following him? Because that leads to the second question. If you're following him, you should be bringing others with you. You bring others with you. The people in your life, your family. Some of you couldn't imagine letting your family go hungry. I mean, you, know, you, you cook and, and you, you just provide for family in so many ways, but you don't provide for your family spiritually. I mean, you think it's a bigger deal to get your daughter in the right college than it is to get her into heaven, and there's something really wrong with that. You're following the shepherd. You should be bringing others with you. This is the picture here. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep as they bring their young. You follow Jesus, and you bring others with you. This is the ordinary and normal Christian life. And anything other than that, is a disaster. Pray with me. Lord, the world sure could use some good news. There are no leaders anywhere, it seems, that we can put faith and confidence in. Lord, There is no place where we can go and find honest people who will speak honestly about their hurts and their hang-ups, their habits. We long, Lord, just to find a place where people will be real. Just no place to go to, to lay down the guilt and shame of our lives, Lord. There's no place to go with my regrets. Well, the world is filled with people who try and try and try to be better people, but it's not in us to make ourselves better people. If, if we could do it by ourselves, we'd have done it a long time ago. The truth is there's good news. And the good news is there is a Savior. One who saves us. One who rescues us. One who is honest about everything wrong with us, but one who is generous with everything that's good with him. And He comes to us with gifts. Lord Jesus, you come to us as the victorious and conquering king. The, the one with power to set us free from our guilt, from our sin, from our shame. The only one who is able to give us a new start, to make us new people. You, God, you have that power in your hands. And you have done that for us. You have rewritten the story of our lives by your mercy. You have rewritten the story of our family's lives by your love. You have rewritten the story, Lord, of our eternity because of your grace. We have heard and received such good news, and yet we're keeping it to ourselves. Oh, God, will you not change this about us? Lord, those of us who know the good news, who have experienced the good news, Lord, will you remind us, Lord, what you've done with us and where we were when you found us so that when we see other people where we were who need what you have done for us, Lord, we would be more bold and more willing, Lord, to tell them about the Savior who comes. Lord, Lord, bless our church. 
Bless us, Lord, as the sheep in your flock, that we will follow you faithfully, but that we will bring others along with us. We love to be carried tenderly as baby lambs, Lord, but we're not babies anymore in Christ. We are supposed to be mature believers, Lord, so teach us to walk and follow. Teach us how to be messengers of good news. Teach us, Lord, how to shout it from the mountaintops louder and louder. Teach us, Lord, how to share the gospel and not be afraid. Lord, the gospel is too important for our fear. The need of the world, Lord, is too important for anything other than the gospel. So, Lord Jesus, put the gospel on our lips, your courage in our hearts. May our feet ever follow the path you mark out for us, our shepherd. We pray these things in your precious and holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.